0: We welcome back to the studio Paul Vaughn, who is now unfortunately facing the prospect of serving up to 11 years in prison for living according to his convictions. If you ever needed evidence that the U.S. government is committed to persecuting Christians, this episode will supply all you need and more. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and with my good friend Gary Humble, this is the Freedom Matters Podcast. I'm looking at a masterpiece
1: I'm staring at a work of art Yeah, I've heard
0: this, but no idea I'm listening to a Matthew West? Symphony. Yeah uh, A song It'll he wrote be called Unplanned for that movie, time. Unplanned Oh, yes, yeah. So I thought it was an appropriate introduction for our guest Absolutely
2: now I think you've chosen. let this go a little bit I see 10 fingers, 10
0: toes, two eyes, and I know this is meant to be. So, Gary, Paul Vaughn is back in the studio with us, and we are honored, um, Paul, to have you back. In fact, you're back with your attorney. So, Paul is in the studio with us, and uh, remotely from Mississippi. Am I correct with that?
2: Correct, yes.
0: Paul's attorney from the Thomas More Society, we learned the only Protestant attorney, <laughs> which I love. I'm Protestant. We're Protestant. Steve Crampton, welcome to our program, our our podcast, Remotely. It's going to be with little, you. It's a great little podcast, Gary, and I'll I'll let you kind of lead the interview, Gary, but just to remind our audience, that um, if you haven't heard the interview with Paul that we did, what it was it, about September 23? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Um, Go back, and and you can get a lot of the details, because I I think what we would like to do today is kind of move it forward and let our audience know um, where the case is today, what has happened most recently in Nashville, and and talk about where we go from here, not only uh, strategically and legally, but how our audience uh, can be praying for you in this process, which I think is really important. In
1: episode 90, I believe it was, so if you want to go back through our podcast channels and look for our interview with, with Paul Vaughn, that'll be in the title, it's episode 90, and so I don't, you know, today, Paul, I don't want to rehash a lot of the story because we did that fairly in depth last time you were here. But I really, it's great to have Mr. Crampton on because I really want to get into what we're facing legally and and I want to I want to set the table by making sure our audience understands. So correct me if I'm mischaracterizing this. So officially now, I guess you're convicted, right? That's correct. Okay, you know, no longer just indicted, you're you're convicted. Yep. And you're convicted, of course, of violating the FACE Act. Is it, and if my memory serves me right, the incident happened during the Trump administration and you were prosecuted under the Biden administration. Is that, am I getting that timeline right? Steve's shaking his head. No. no. So, so that, let's, let's make sure we have March
2: 2021.
1: Was when the incident happened. Right. Okay. So Biden right.
2: had just come into office.
1: All right. but it But it is fair to say that prior to the Biden administration... There's no such prosecution that has ever taken place under the FACE Act.
2: Yes, with a caveat, if I may. Uh, All right. There were criminal prosecutions under FACE. They were quite rare, actually. In fact, um, the Department of Justice's own website lists from 2011. Don't ask me why they started in 2011, but they did. uh, Until 2021, the total was 16 prosecutions, but they never brought – a criminal conspiracy charge. They didn't bring a conspiracy charge of any sort. Then in 2022, as uh, Dobbs, the Dobbs decision was in the making and ultimately announced in June of 2022 that overturned Roe, 25 criminal prosecutions. And then in 2023, another 10. And in these most recent ones, since Dobbs, they throw in the criminal conspiracy charge which is a felony, while the underlying face violation is just a misdemeanor. So they ramped it up dramatically.
1: Would you, again, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but but as a, as a layman here, is it is it safe to say that this this tool, if you will, is being weaponized in light of the victory
2: we've had in Dobbs? Absolutely. And here's the other thing I just want to uh, put on in this context, Gary, is not only has it just been ramped up and weaponized, as you say, but during that time period of the early 2000s through 2022, these rescues were taking place, live streamed on Facebook, and the Department of Justice and the FBI expressed no interest in them. So it was fair to assume, wrongly as it turns out, that the feds weren't going to prosecute at all. They resulted in simple Criminal trespass actions, like other sit-ins and so forth, had always been treated. So there was a, a an aspect here where the pro-life activists were lulled into a false sense of security. And then the Department of Justice dropped the hammer.
1: Mm. So I would be remiss if we didn't at least, two before we, we continue on into the details of the case. I mean, Paul, I, I just want to reiterate, I mean, you're sitting here right now under— not just an indictment, not an indictment, a, a federal conviction facing, I, I believe, 11 years in prison and potential, yeah. what, $250,000 fine? Is that the is that the penalty under the FACE Act, I believe? and Something along those lines. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Does it really matter at that point, you know, the money and all that as, yeah. as, as when you're facing 11 years in prison? So, man, I, I just, I, I want to just, I want you to share a little bit about that because I think, you know, a lot of us who care about life a lot of us who are fighting on so many issues um engaged in the in the uh, public square this this in particular uh, being the pro life issue i mean you you are a warrior in this space and you are you are paying the price for it and i i just i'd love to have you just speak to that a little bit just in in the in the chair that you currently sit in before we move on into the sure the details
3: yeah you know my wife says a lot lately, as we talk about this at home, is, this is far more than just the abortion battle, right? What we see is the abortion battle is the henchman, the the entry point to the battle. But we are seeing a systematic uh, attack on Christianity and on Christians and on our views and more importantly, on acting like a Christian. Hmm. And so remember back. In in the the story, I wasn't arrested for trespass. I didn't block anybody. I didn't do anything other than talk with the police officers that day. All I did was go into that clinic, go into the hallway outside that clinic to be accurate, and talk to, technically, I didn't personally even talk to the women that were coming in the hallway, but my sidewalk counseling team was there trying to give a woman a last chance effort to, to save her child and save her life from the destruction of knowing that you killed your child. And um, so that activity, that outward manifestation of Christ in my life, is what they came after. And that's what we need to understand as the church. It's not, they don't care, you know, what your beliefs are if you're sitting in the pew on Sunday. When your beliefs come out into the street and they counter their narrative and it says there's another king, one called Jesus, that has command of my life, that's where they get upset. And that's what we're dealing with in this, in this process. So I'm literally an indicted felon, and Lord willing— Which we've I mean, never had an indicted felon on the show before, Kevin. Yeah, that's Kevin. congratulations. So that's, a, yeah. That's, that's new <laughs> on the Freedom Match podcast. Well, and warning. I mean, if you, if you harken back to the history of, of tyrannical governments just talking to people— an innocent handshake on the side of the road, mm-hmm. walking down the road, gets the Stasi showing up at your door <clears throat> tomorrow yep. morning. Yep. So so beware, guys. <laughs> Let's go. I
1: was thinking about this on the way in, like in your situation. And I love the the word you use because there's a difference between professing to be a believer and going out into the world and acting as if you were a believer, which you are being punished for. And um, there was... Back in Bible college, in my younger years, there was a phrase that our one of our professors used to always say. He said, "New, new levels, new devils." <laughs> you know, and and just the idea that as the Lord gives us influence, and as we do go out into the battle, and we fight all these uh, through these various circumstances in our lives as as we see increase during the sanctification process right I mean we face new challenges and uh, brother I was just I was, that was weighing heavy honestly as I was coming in like thinking about you know in my own life where I am right now am am I prepared have I lived life in such a way where I'm prepared to face a federal conviction for practicing my faith you know and I think that's a question we should all be asking ourselves and so anyway I that weighs heavy on me I think I think that's just a, a big, part of the conversation that I want to get out of out up front is that you're you're going through it and having immense respect for it and as Kevin said yeah we do want to make sure that our audience understands how to pray for you and how to support you
2: Gary, so may we, I interject I, uh, yeah please one might say Paul as he sits here today is now a man of his convictions mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> literally
1: and <right>? literally <clears throat> literally
2: yeah and as the scriptures That's say you're blessed for that
0: <laughs> yes right Matthew yep. chapter 5 verse 3 through 12 Right? And in particular, verses 11 and 12, which says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted, insulted, persecuted, and people say all kinds of evil against you because of Christ. Rejoice and be glad, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets before you. And I think that's important not to diminish because you are convicted for something, and I don't want to make light of the fact that Gary and I sit here and we're not convicted, but the reality is, is that you're blessed, and Christians don't look at this we, – we tend to get, oh my gosh, the miserable side of it is I could face losing my liberty, um, my liberty under the law of the United States government, right? But it's really important that we take the Scripture seriously and understand that it is blessing, and it's such an upside-down worldview to the way that we are inclined to look at it. So you are blessed, and and that's why I said at the start we're honored to have you in our presence. Well, now there's a couple of
3: thoughts just from y'all talking about that. I want to share with the church and, you know, you're right. New level, new devil, right? And the other way of saying that is God's grace is sufficient for the task at hand. Yeah, And it's a, you know, it's, it's one thing we sit and we think and we look and we read the histories. We read about the martyrs. We read about early church stuff and we think, wow, they were really, you know, really mighty men of God and really strong in their faith and all that. And we we try to transpose ourselves into that situation, which is an impossible thing to do because we haven't walked that walk up to that point of that persecution, and we haven't seen God's victory in the little battles. You know, David Goliath, the lion and the bear before the Goliath, mm-hmm. and so there's an there's an element of that that is true. But I, I will tell you guys the and encourage the church because there is no greater place to be than standing and exposing yourself to risks for God's name. Mm. And the grace that pours in, the amount of people praying for us, and the the tangible presence of God in our life uh, during that trial. There's a verse that says, God prepares a feast for us in the presence of our enemies. Mm-hmm. I just want to give you a little snapshot of what it looked like going through that week, couple weeks, snowed in in Nashville, waiting on the trial to start, and then going to court each day. We had... Three Airbnbs, all our family, my kids, grandkids, uh, grandmas, sisters-in-laws, and their kids, and we had we had a tr- a troop of people there. And every night we would come home, and 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 lots of extended friends, and I mean just just a massive massive amount of people. We'd come back from court, we'd have a big giant meal. One of the folks had been preparing each day some some high level food and and just incredible feasting. And we would sit around the big old living room of this Airbnb. We would pray. We had our our hymn book. We sang psalm after psalm after psalm, just worshiping God. We'd feast, we'd have this massive meal. And it was just a it was an incredible experience because it is, and it's, it's a supernatural thing. It's not a kooky spiritual thing, but it's right. a it's a deep understanding and standing on the Word of God and knowing that He is there. And seeing it manifested, you know, right there on the table in front of yeah. you in a, in a great meal and this the joy. And there wasn't there wasn't a moment in that courtroom, there wasn't a psalm or a song just coming out of my heart or out of my lips as I'm singing quietly, probably distracting Steve sitting behind him back <laughs> <right> there humming, <laughs> humming Psalm 2 and, <clears throat> and Psalm 148 and just different ones. Um, so it's, it's an incredible opportunity, and I would not wish for any person in the church to miss it if, you know... If, Find a place and stand and trust God and see God work. And uh, until you put yourself at risk, until you you take that step out in faith, you don't know how strong he is. You don't know how he's going to respond in his faithfulness. And, um, you know, there's all of New Testament, right? A bunch of Old Testament. Hebrews tells the stories of all those, that the great faith That's chapter. Great. And these were all things that God orchestrated that God did. It wasn't because humanity was so strong or so, so great, but it was because he is faithful Mm -hmm. and all he needed was somebody that was willing to just take a step into the gap and trust him. And, uh, we're still there. It's right next level. We got appeals. We got sentencing coming up in July. So who knows, you know, what the future holds. There's a, there's a lot of unknown to us, but God knows everything. And I, I continue to trust that, you know, he's going to lead it exactly where he wants it. And like my wife says, he tells the best stories. It's just sometimes hard to get from chapter to chapter to know sure where they, what the
0: ending looks like, right? <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, thank you for sharing that, Paul. I, it's it's important, again, because it's one thing that Karen and I could say it, we could describe it. But it's, I think it's so compelling and uh, and the truth of that, you know, comes through the microphones, it's it's in the room, and hopefully it, it reaches the audience that you're living it. So it's it's reality, and, and that's really important. You mentioned uh, the process a little bit, and so I wanted to ask Steve, where are we in the process now that the, the convictions have come down? Is there an appeal, and what's that appeal based on, and where do we go from here?
2: Yeah, it, we're sort of in a hurry-up-and-wait uh, time period right now, we are uh, meeting with the probation officer regarding a pre-sentencing report, which needs to be completed before uh, July the 2nd is our sentencing date, and we can't even file the appeal until then. So we've got a little uh, hiatus here before we kick it in on the appeal process. But when we get to the appeal, we have a, a host of issues, primarily from our perspective uh We have legal arguments, pure legal arguments, which we raised with the judge in the trial court and uh, we lost, but the whole constitutionality of the FACE Act, we believe, is front and center here. FACE was passed in 1994 in the Clinton administration in response to the Operation Rescue demonstrations, right, which were really unprecedented in their reach. Tens of thousands of believers coming in a very peaceful, nonviolent way and simply interposing themselves physically to try to uh, buy a little more time to reach these abortion-minded women. And in every other uh, movement historically in the U.S., those are treated locally, little criminal trespass, disorderly conduct kind of actions, and uh, Congress in its great wisdom decided that just wasn't enough, right, in the abortion context. Mm -hmm. So they enact this federal uh, legislation and make it a six-month uh, penalty on the first offense, and then it ramps up after that, right? Well, Congress, as you will recall, is actually a body of limited authority, <laughs> and you got to find some hook to uh, I- excuse your acting in these contexts. So they created the illusion of a burden on interstate commerce, right? So they could enact this legislation under Commerce Clause authority, mm-hmm. Well, we all know that
1: they not do so often.
0: Yeah. I mean, I remember going back <laughs> right? to law school it's used Steve. over
1: and over again.
2: Yeah.
0: When I, I was know, in law right? school. Right. Commerce Clause was like, <laughs> you want to get this through? Look to the Commerce Clause. That's yeah, always right. our excuse. You got nothing
2: else. Just throw it in the Commerce yeah. Clause bucket. Right. Well, in the early 2000s, you may recall there were some great Supreme Court cases that for the first time said there really are limits on Commerce Clause authority. And one of them is you've got to have actual economic activity at work. Well, of course, the courts being uh, somewhat uh, biased and politicized these days, uh, they struggled with the issue, but they did uphold the FACE Act tenuously, and especially when the uh, illusion of a federal right to abortion was still around. uh, And they hooked it in there and said, well, we think there's enough here. Well, the Supreme Court has never actually addressed the question. And now, of course, after the Dobbs decision, you don't have the illusion of a federal right to abortion anymore. So, the tenuous nature of congressional authority to sustain the FACE Act is really questionable. And there's another avenue here that uh, we are raising, and that is, and forgive me if I'm going too far. Y'all feel free to no, no, this no, out, no, this is right? good. Is the notion of viewpoint discrimination right? There were cases in the 2015 time frame, that really uh, bore down on what viewpoint discrimination means. And when an act, which the FACE Act has, for instance, has a because of clause. And it in FACE, you know, it prohibits acts of force, threats of force, or physical obstruction. By the way, the force and threats of force were always criminalized. That was really not what FACE was ever about. FACE was always about physically obstructing access to an abortion clinic, right? So they put in their uh, schmoozy sort of language. Instead of calling them abortion clinics, they called them reproductive health services. Mm -hmm. So today, the Department of Justice argues, well, even though abortion is no longer a federal right, you still have a federal right to access reproductive health services. And just stop and ask yourself, when was the last time you saw pro-lifers acting and, and undertaking rescues to stop someone from getting an ultrasound mm-hmm. doesn't happen. Yep. It's only abortion. It's always been about abortion. But in addition, it says if you undertake these acts with a specific intent of intimidating or interfering with somebody wanting to access reproductive health services, then you violate base. But they, they put another little clause in there, and they say if you do it because those folks are seeking reproductive health services. So labor unions can block access to a reproductive health clinic. They can bomb a reproductive health clinic and not violate face because they're not doing it because those people are seeking reproductive health services. In other words, it only operates against one side of this Mm -hmm. spiritual and political battle. And consequently, pro-abortion escorts, as they call themselves, that come out there just to harass and interfere with folks that are trying to offer life-saving alternatives to abortion. They don't violate FACE. Again, they can physically attack, they can Mm -hmm. shoot pro-lifers, they don't violate FACE. The only folks that violate FACE are those that undertake it with pro-life viewpoints.
1: Which is what makes this viewpoint discrimination.
2: Exactly so, and so again, even the federal appellate courts haven't analyzed FACE under this viewpoint discrimination analytical framework. So we think we have very strong arguments here to overturn the FACE Act altogether. And frankly, Congress needs to repeal it, mm-hmm. which, of course, is always a, a difficult thing because Congress doesn't act very quickly or strongly on anything other than maybe aid to the Ukrainian. Army. Um, and so we have... Um, we believe, very, very strong legal arguments. But then, of course, we also have factual arguments and kind of rulings on evidentiary issues that are sort of getting into the weeds on exactly how the trial unfolds. In
1: terms of the court, too, I'm curious, you know, typically, and that's not always true, but typically in conservative issues, we tend to look at the Sixth Circuit sort of favorably. Um, has yeah. Has the constitutionality of the FACE Act ever been challenged specifically in the Sixth Circuit?
2: It has. uh, Again, this was early on, and it was a split decision, but the Sixth Circuit did uphold the FACE Act back in the early 2000s. So that's part of the reason the trial court couldn't really rule our way when they're bound by what the Sixth Circuit has already held.
1: And I may be getting into the weeds here, but is there also, like, like, let's just say, is there a two-part argument? Clearly, we think that this is an injustice, so let's just set that aside. I'm thinking in terms of how the court's going to think. So if the FACE Act somehow is up, is upheld, is is then there an effort to sort of diminish the conspiracy charge that would take this back down yes. to a misdemeanor?
2: Absolutely. That's a whole other element of our legal attack on appeal. The idea of bringing a felony conspiracy charge against anything that's a misdemeanor to begin with, but even more so when you consider the American constitutional tradition, our very roots and foundations. Is built on a right to engage in peaceful civil disobedience. So to bring to bear this really like a nuclear device Mm -hmm. against civil rights that have been undertaken again with one specific viewpoint, they wouldn't dream. Can you imagine a felony conspiracy charge being brought against BLM activists? Of course not. Or Antifa folks, the pro-Hamas demonstrations, et cetera, et cetera. Never. You would be lambasted, Right. Politically and maybe even physically, yep. but they do it against pro-lifers here.
1: So so to that point, should even the conspiracy charge hold, that transcends this specific issue. I mean, that would, that would essentially set a precedent where they could go after conspiracy charges for a myriad of conservative issues in the public square. Yes,
2: absolutely. We're hopeful that we can get the ACLU types to join us in challenging that use, abuse. And by the way, the irony here, too, is... It's called Conspiracy Against Rights. <laughs> wow. So the real ones that are conspiring against yeah. rights here are the Department of Justice yes. attorneys yeah. bringing this against the civil rights of pro-lifers. So, Steve, when does that
0: happen? You said you have to you have to complete this pre... Right. Describe again No, the we have to go
2: through sentencing before we can file our appeal. Okay. So the so, appeal won't be filed until July.
0: Okay, so the sentencing's sentencing will happen, you file the appeal,
2: then what happens to Paul? What's, what's yeah, that process? Yeah, why does process? Paul sit in that? That's a great question. It's in the discretion of the trial judge, who of course also has discretion to disregard even the federal sentencing guidelines concerning what range of sentence to impose. And our uh, friends representing co-defendants who have appeared before this judge many times suspect that she may not impose the harsh sentence that, uh, as y'all suggest, the upper end of the several years in the federal penitentiary. We suspect she sees this for what it is. It's a political bunch of theater, really, uh, and it is absurd to consider somebody like Paul Vaughn uh, in in the context of a multi-year federal penitentiary sentence. Right. So even if she imposes jail time, we are hopeful, and of course we will ask that uh, the sentence be suspended while the appeal is pending. So we're hopeful Paul can remain uh, out of jail, but there's by no means a guarantee on that end.
0: Okay, that's good to know. So that's that's important for prayer, too, that 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 everybody understands. And just how to be praying. In in other
3: political cases I've noted this week, Steve, we hadn't even talked about it, but Peter Navarro was refused that request to stay out Mm -hmm. on the appeal of his Mm -hmm. case surrounding Trump in the the election, while Steve Bannon, in in a similar case, was granted the right to stay out on appeal okay. so it's completely arbitrary go. completely up to the yeah. to do the judge's discretion as as Steve said so prayer on that would be uh would be important and okay. again you know we we think that the right thing the what what God wants to do is keep me out of jail and we have to recognize that it may not be maybe not yeah right? maybe his story is is stronger and more powerful in advancing his kingdom more uh, by me going to jail with I don't know, pick a Pick a politician of the day that could be there mm-hmm. with all the trials going on
0: and uh, or other people that need to hear the gospel or whatever. Where would that be? Let's let's say that happens. Where would he go to prison and what kind of facility you know, is it?
2: I don't have an answer for you on that. I have not investigated that. I'm still on the I'm naming it and claiming it. With yeah, yeah. No, no, yeah, we're with you. Believe me, we're, we're winning. With you. Yeah. We're winning. I'm just asking yeah. that question. I don't sure. want my attorney yeah. thinking Fair like course. that.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I know there's not a federal penitentiary in Tennessee, and I think right. the closest one. Our, see, I didn't even know our, that. Well, our friends have found is about 250 miles south, either Alabama or Mississippi, uh, perhaps. I don't know exactly, but okay. not close. See there's a part of this
1: for me like I recognize there's there's a few things at play here like clearly there's a faith journey at play. I mean, we don't want to miss that. That's that's primarily what's happening here, right? And so and then there's a court battle, you know, and so we're we're arguing for our liberties in court. We're arguing really against a a weaponized government um against its own people. But there's also a part of this and I'm just speaking for me personally that this cannot stand. The injustice of of this all. In some instances and I'm not smacking of anything like you know. I'm not going to to January 6th talk here. That's not what I'm. What I am saying is that the we, we are consistently as a people in America accepting these injustices over the people, yes. and and there's you know what do you do whenever your own justice system fails to protect those liberties from being usurped by these yeah. federal agencies by these other authorities, and I'm I'm not espousing to have the answer to that what i'm what i am saying is though that no really no matter what happens in the court this cannot stand that is a fact that i know in my bones
2: amen to that may may i say i'll I'll go j6 for you okay (laughs) we really are seeing and and this case i think is one aspect of the bigger picture of a two-tier justice system absolutely i mean who can deny that today right there's a that story of the uh, man, I believe he was a migrant, who attacked and beat a New York City police officer in broad yes. daylight. Yes. Taken into jail and released immediately, and he gets on a, a bus and goes to California or something. I mean, and then you get the J six folks, and that they're leaving no stone unturned in seeking them out. Right, going to the nth degree of checking every uh, piece of social media, every. Uh, Text message and so forth to hunt these grandmothers down and imprison them because they speak out in a largely peaceful way. You know, you've got the Donald Trump prosecutions. You've got the election deniers, so-called. Again, there is like Peter Navarro. There, there's no penalty too harsh in the eyes of this administration for folks that question the narrative of this administration. And as you say, Gary, this cannot be. This is not the America that we all stood for and some of us learned about in education systems. I think they don't teach civics anymore in the public schools. But if we sit back and let these things happen, what right have we to complain tomorrow when mm-hmm. they come for us? Yeah. You know?
3: Well, and I would take it even a, another level to kind of circle back to the faith journey as well and more of a commentary on our cultural character. So think through this case. As we sat there and we interviewed 150 potential uh, jurors and ultimately got a jury seated, every one of those people has a connection. They're created by their mm-hmm. creator, and they have their character comes to bear on this case. So what they believe, how strongly they believe it, what they do has a bearing on this. Yep. We have prosecutions. Right, the, prosec- the prosecutors in this case, they all have character. They all have an either an acceptance or rejecting of their creator. And so their character comes into this. The judge and who sits on the bench and the administrators in the court all have their character that bears on this case. And so when we want to change something, and then there's the whole years and life of the legal precedents and the way our court system works. The rules of evidence and all these things that just bring the case down, not from the acts of that day and judging whether that law was applied appropriately to that particular case, but it's more, it it comes all the way down to the point was, is A plus B, therefore C? And there is no real discussion on the intent and on the Mm -hmm. purpose and the, you know, was a child saved from death that day and things like that. So there's a a broad, when we want to fix things, we as a people, the people of God got to go back. And we got to question our own character and our own um, relationship with God. And are we willing to stand? Are we willing to to do hard work and to, and to educate ourselves even on the on the as a juror? I I I think one of the things I'd love to see happen uh, coming out of this in Tennessee specifically is a a Christian juror training program, hmm. county by county, educate the juror, teach the civics that wasn't taught in school. And teach a faith that is, arguably, not taught in the pulpit, uh, and, at some level. So there's, there's a big, broad. How do we not let this stand? There's the fixing the immediate battle in front of us, but then there's a larger, long-term arc of how did we get here and
0: how do we keep from happening? You know, keep this from <clears throat> happening again. And yep. Paul isn't one of the ways that we got here because in America, the Christians have repeatedly surrendered our rightful place uh, within the culture. Right, God tells us the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations. And yet in America, it seems that Christians in particular in America are content to say, well, we live in a pluralistic society, and some someone who's a Buddhist or an atheist has just as much right to project their worldview into our culture, or even more so, I see Christians surrendering. To the contrary, I don't even believe, and we know it's not true as Christians— You can't even form the foundations of a society on anything other than the foundation of Christ. So if we believe that, why would we possibly abandon the culture to someone who rebels against Christ and has a different belief? And yet Christians do it here more than any place in the world because we have been free. And yet the reason we were free was because people (laughs) advanced those ideas in the first place, right? There's a lot to unpack and a whole lot of,
3: you know, historical chemistry, if you will. Mm -hmm in that in our understanding i mean think about cultures it, it, it'd be one thing are we seeing a buddhist agenda put forward in america or a muslim agenda we're not we're not seeing other religious ideas put forward what we're seeing is an atheistic anti-god uh-huh. agenda is what's driving our culture and what we're seeing in the in the in the place of ideas right it
0: always comes down to that doesn't it right it does is god the ultimate authority Or as man, and
3: And that's what we're facing. And so you can harken back to Genesis, harken back to our creation narrative in the garden. Why did God create mankind, right? Every mankind, whether they acknowledge God or not, was created for a unique purpose. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And and to exercise rule and dominion in the earth to make it like heaven. Mm -hmm. We're to reflect His image into the earth. So God's here, He reflects to us, and us to the earth. Mm -hmm. And so how do we represent Him well by Big ideas like justice, equity, truth, righteousness. These are character traits of God that we're to reflect into the culture. And so there's, there's a, a big picture. If, if we're doing our duty, living on this earth and walking down the street every day, and we're reflecting Christ properly in every interaction we have, then there is a righteousness from heaven that is reflected to our, our presence, literally walking down the street and to everyone we interact with, every business transaction, you know, every retail transaction, every relationship, all those things flow out of a Christian worldview and a Christian uh, Christ spirit in us as a hope of glory, right? Why
0: do you think, Paul, it's a bigger question, why do you think Americans have been content to allow that reflection of Christ to either remain A, in the pews, or to the extent it invades culture, it only manifests itself as, well, I host a Bible study at work, right? Instead of, no, I'm actually going to—I host a Bible study at work, but I'm the sponsor of an LGBTQ you know, organization within work because we live in a pluralistic society. Instead of saying, no, as a believer, my duty is to Christ first, and I'm going mm-hmm. to do everything I can in this position that God has put mm-hmm. me not merely to hold a Bible study, which I may not have the freedom to do anyway, if I keep acting with this kind of surrender mentality, exactly. but to actually take a step, which may be, con- which is certainly going to be controversial. Why have Christians abandoned this? Um, that our forefathers, not only in this country, but historically the church, were so much more strong and and lived according to their convictions. We've abandoned him by sure. and large. No, the, and there's, like you said, a very complex,
3: very deep and broad question. Uh, one of the things I found, I'm recently reading N.T. Wright's book, uh, The Day the Revolution Began, and it's about the work of the cross. And he talks about how in our Western theology, we, we tend to focus on salvation, heaven, salvation, heaven. And we miss the second part of every time Israel sinned, and you know of course they had to repent, the sin had to be dealt with, but there was also the bringing them back out of exile, back into mm-hmm. the rightful created order. And we miss that, that link between walking down the church aisle and our ultimate destiny in heaven. We miss the what about tomorrow question. Mm-hmm. And so, so what does that mean? And we take those freedoms that we have in Christ, and instead of using them for the advancement of the kingdom, we use them for our own mm-hmm. internal purposes. Right. And, uh, and completely. Is, so the short is that we don't really understand who God is, and we really don't understand our duty and what we're called to be. We missed
1: that Luke 19 command, occupy until I come, Absolutely. engage yep. until I come. A little bit of a legal question I've got stirring in my head. Uh Steve not asking you to like play fortune teller here, but I would imagine it it sounds like I heard you say this particular issue where Paul finds himself creates a little bit of a distinct argument around the face act and prior has come previously has come before the court. That being the case, yes. would that being the case would you suspect that this may make its way to the Supreme Court?
2: Yes, I would, and like you say, it's hard to uh, prognosticate too much, wow. especially with the, uh, the court that we have currently, but mm-hmm. it does appear to us from where we sit now that if we can get the court to accept this case, and maybe the Sixth Circuit does the hard work here, that uh, we ought to win. Just looking at their writings on the subject previously and the way the precedent has led up and just, you know, fundamental constitutional law. But as you know, uh, often the court is uh, a bit timid. They don't want to take Mm -hmm. hard cases. And when you introduce the abortion component, there's a whole nother layer of baggage and uh, issue, you know, kind of secondary issues that kick in. So uh, there's a lot of political uh, overlay here that makes this more difficult. And in that sense, if we get the right panel and isn't it a sad state of affairs when the outcome of a case largely depends on the makeup of which judges are uh, chosen yes. to hear the case is than the, the actual issues. That
0: alone, yeah. Steve, is, is is what we've become, right? We're no longer a nation of laws. We're a nation of men. And if you have that's the exactly right men right. in positions of power, then we feel safe. But if you have the wrong men, we're frightened. And that's that's entirely right. upside down with how our country was founded.
2: It, it really is. And the whole concept, of course, you know, the irony, again, uh, over the entrance to the Supreme Court, right? Equal justice under law. Well, there's <laughs> equality in a case like this one. Uh, it's sort of been forgotten, or maybe they've redefined it as they do what, what a man and a woman is. Exactly.
0: You know? e- equal justice for those who hold the views that they hold, Yes, the ones in power yes. that day.
1: Coming into the final moments here uh, of our time. I want to make sure, Steve, like, you know, because there's, in my mind, there's several things at play here. Of course, there's a, a faith perspective. There's a perspective of, of standing up and defending life. There's, so there's the abortion issue. And then there's the the constitutional perspective of just our ability to advocate in the public square, you know, in terms of this conspiracy. I, I just like, could you just speak for a minute on why it's important from a constitutional perspective that that we win
3: on this argument. And Gary, could I just add, I talk a lot about the faith battle and the spiritual side of it, and we we too often separate the material from the spiritual as part of the broader discussion we were having a second ago, and I want to make clear that both are necessary, Yeah, right? And this is what we're, this is, when you enter into the gap, there yep. is physical war going on, and there's spiritual war going on. So yep. I don't want to, I don't want the audience to what is common in in our nation to kind of separate those out and say, oh, it's all spiritual, or it's all material, or physical. No, it's a both, and and so, so Steve Amen. is my is my physical material spear point
2: <laughs> going into this battle. So we really appreciate him. Thank you, Paul. Um, I think one of the underlying issues in this case, and really in the in the picture at large in this nation is what uh, the Supreme Court in the Hill against Colorado case in 2000, which was another pro-life case, by the way, uh, got completely wrong. And they've revisited the issue, but again, in its own timid fashion, refused to overrule Hill. And that is an illusory right to be left alone on the public sidewalk or in the public square. Frankly, Paul, as I reconsider how the jury ended up ruling against us in this case, I think they kind of bought in tacitly to the notion that these women going into a public building open to the public thought they had, and the jury thought they had a right not to be bothered, not to be confronted with a hard question, like some of our counselors asked these women going in. And that made the jury uncomfortable. And they sort of ruled as they did because they thought, gee, when you're handling a tough private issue, and that whole right to privacy garbage is in here too, Mm -hmm. It was just impolitic, if not illegal, to uh, address this woman and start asking her hard questions like, "Are you here to abort your child?" Kind of stuff, right? So, what I'm I'm bringing it to, and this is, I think, maybe an intersection of the spiritual and the and the physical, is the power of the word, right? In the beginning was the word, and when we speak truth, hard truths to these young women who are all confused and and messed up on what they're doing. We have have to preserve that right. The fundamental right to share the gospel comes down to an ability to confront people with hard truths in the public square. And in our touchy feely eggshell sort of world, I think there is a growing movement to say you can't say offensive things to people that don't want to hear them, right? And the gospel is ultimately an offense yes. to the world. So this issue really strikes again at the very core of what it means to have a, a First Amendment right to speak and the right of religious freedom. Because what is our religious freedom if we don't have the right to mm-hmm. share the gospel with those that don't want to hear it?
1: Amen. It's a critical point. I, and I think I, I appreciate you brought up the, the right to privacy. I think so often conservatives miss the point. We we talk about a right to privacy as if we have it and it's this God ordained thing. And, and there are some States, I believe Florida being one of them that has put a right to privacy in its own state constitution. But the fact mm-hmm. is there is no such thing as a right to privacy in the United States constitution that was invented during Roe, which has extrapolated itself into all the nonsense that we're dealing here today. And so I just think that's an important point to make um, here as we close. Steve, I, I appreciate your work on this and, and, uh, before we we go to, can you please uh, tell folks about your organization and what you do want to make sure people have a a context for that?
2: Thanks very much. Yeah, it's the Thomas More Society, more M-O-R-E, not two uh, O's, and our website's thomasmoresociety.org. We focus on faith, family, and freedom, but uh, the pro-life movement is really central to what we do. So, We uh, step in for uh, pro-life counselors and pro-life activists all over the country, in addition to handling other religious freedom kind of issues. We still have ongoing, by the way, some uh, vaccine freedom cases Mm, as well. We think that's another core component to what this overbearing government has done in shutting down religious freedom. But thank you for the opportunity.
0: Yeah, we thank you for that, too. Gary and I have talked a lot about that. So it's good to know where the lawyers are, um, for the yes. physical battles. So yes. <laughs> thank you for that, Steve. Paul, thank you again for coming in, giving us of your time. And is there anything that you can, anything we haven't covered that you can let our audience know how to be praying for you in this time?
3: I think we've covered a wide range of things. And I just would let your audience know, I covered the prayers, they're felt, they're known, they're, they're how we participate in the battle with one another. And there's so many other people, Uh, There are people from D.C. that are locked up in prison pending sentencing, and uh, we Mm -hmm. need to be praying for them Mm -hmm. as well, and and certainly many other cases where there's injustices being done across our nation. So uh, we need to pray in church, and we need to pray faithfully. So I appreciate you guys having me on and and allowing me to share that, and uh, I really appreciate the support you guys have shown
1: I'd like to close in prayer, if that's okay. Yeah, please do, Gary. Lord,
3: we thank you, God, that we know ultimately that
1: you are in control no matter what circumstances that we see. And, God, we just uh, pray for supernatural favor and grace uh, and peace, God, in Paul's life and his family, God, as he goes through this trial. God, let him know that the saints, God, uh, are—that he would feel those prayers, and, uh, God, that you would comfort him and give him strength for the battle that's ahead. God, we know ultimately— Um, Lord, you have your way. God, declare your goodness, your righteousness, and your might, God, in our nation. And God, let the church, Lord, in a moment like this, be willing to stand in the gap and stand in battle and stand firm on the truth. Uh, God, knowing what your word says, regardless of uh, the things that we face coming our way from the enemy. God, I pray uh, over the Thomas More Society, God, give them uh, the wisdom and discernment. Uh, and God, be in these courts, God, as we work to defend our liberties, but ultimately, God, to glorify you and declare mm. you as King, Lord, uh, in this nation. God, in that uh, mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.
3: Amen. Amen.
0: Thanks. If you'd like to learn more about Tennessee Stands, visit tennesseestands.org to donate, volunteer, or get more information about what we're doing to preserve liberty for the people of Tennessee. You can also follow along on all social platforms at Tennessee Stands. As Thomas Paine reminded us, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigue of supporting it.